Last week, we launched a four-week series called Unlikely Heroes, and chances are at one time or another, you dreamed of being a hero who would have extraordinary impact in the world, extraordinary impact in people's lives. But then over time, something happened. (laughs) Over time, you realized you were just, well, ordinary. And being ordinary, it doesn't disqualify you from having extraordinary impact on the people around you, on your environments. It actually doesn't disqualify you because we discovered last week, God specializes in using ordinary people in the most unlikely ways. God created you for a purpose. God created you for something meaningful. God created you to have extraordinary impact in this world. But how? Well, the answer to that question is what we're trying to discover through this series. Through this, through this four-week series, we're looking at four ordinary people in the Hebrew Scriptures, in, in our Old Testament, whom God used in the most unlikely ways, and we're uncovering what it was about each of these four ordinary people that positioned them to have extraordinary impact. I believe if you choose to embrace these qualities in your life, God will use you to impact your family, your friends, people who don't know Jesus, your school, your team, your company, your neighborhood, your church, your home, in extraordinary ways as well. I am super excited to have Tim Bolke preach week two of of this series today. Uh, Tim has been a mentor of mine for over 25 years. A big part of who I am today is because of Tim Bolke. So if you don't like who I am today, blame him. Uh, (laughs) Tim is the founder and the executive director of Harbor Ministries and his most recent book called Stay Wild was just released. I'll tell you more about that before we go today. It's been three years since Tim last preached here at Relevant. I am so excited to have it back. So please give a huge, huge welcome to Tim Bulky. I'm deciding if I like Ronnie today as much as you all do. I think I do though. Pretty sure. Uh, really great being back with you. Um, can't believe it's been three years. I was actually thinking on the drive, the very slow drive from Lincoln to here this morning when it was, and I knew it was in December. And I'm like, I think that was a year ago, December. And it's like three years ago, December of 2020. I can't believe it. Time goes fast. But, but it's a real privilege and, and uh, super stoked to be able to walk in, with you through a couple of these stories. It's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, to walk with people through some of these dramatic stories of the Bible. I mean, the Bible's filled with truth, but it's also full of great stories, of very ordinary, common people that God invited into a much bigger story. And last week, uh, Matt talked about Nehemiah and did an awesome job of walking through that, that particular ordinary person. And that story today, we look at Elijah, a real character out of the Old Testament. And there's some uh, physical descriptions of Elijah. We're going to be looking in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, but there's some descriptions of who this guy was. And I uh, just wanted to read you a couple of them. He says, Elijah had a rugged constitution, and he lived most of his days in solitude in caves. Fleet of foot, which is interesting, and had a very strange dress and appearance to him. Okay, we're talking about a very ordinary person. And as we're going to see here pretty soon in the story we're going to dive into, Elijah's well 
swung with emotions of extreme emotions, wore his emotions on his sleeves, and he struggled with anxiety and worry and sometimes hopelessness and in a moment despair. And I think you can make a strong case for depression, just like many of us. And this is a God. This is the guy that God rose up and invited into a much bigger story. So before we deep dive into Elijah's journey, I had to tell you about a moment in my favorite place in the country to go to, Crested Butte, Colorado. Um, I grew up in a farm in central Nebraska, and after my senior year of high school, it became apparent I wasn't going to be a farmer. Uh, just wasn't in my wiring. And so I looked for an excuse to get out to the mountains, found a job in a restaurant in Crested Butte, worked out there for that summer. And I've been going there for decades since with friends and mountain bike and to hike. And one of the things I heard about that very first summer, and I still want to do it today and still haven't done it, is do this hike from Crested Butte to Aspen, Colorado. Um, at one point in the trail, you can get in, and it's 17 miles over two mountain passes. And so a lot of reasons I just haven't got to it, but I know my window is kind of closing. I need to get a little more serious about this life goal of doing this hike from Crested Butte to Colorado, uh, Crested Butte to Aspen, gorgeous. But in the last few years, I heard and became acquainted with a guy who had a much bigger goal. His life goal was to hike the Colorado Trail. And this man now in his 60s knew his window was closing as well, and so he better get about the training and doing it, and he did, and he accomplished this goal. Colorado Trail starts south of Denver and ends up north of Durango, Colorado. 486 miles, over 89,000 feet of vertical gain. And this guy did it, accomplished it in 36 days. And as I heard him talk and share, he talked about three big obstacles in this journey. First was weather, three things that nearly took him out. Weather, he said, things I couldn't control, things like today. He said there was a several six-day stretches where he never saw the sun, one, day, one stretch of nine days where it either snowed, rained, or sleeted every day. And so he get up out of that tent, need to hike 15 miles in that day wet, go back into his tent at night wet, and do it again the next day. And you could imagine the oppressive nature of weather, things that were spinning out of his control that nearly stopped him from finishing that journey. And the next thing he talked about was loneliness, intense loneliness. And he's hiked in the mountains all his life and all that, and there's something beautiful to that moment, but the isolation extended, and the overbearing nature of loneliness just about took him out. So the only person he talked to during those 36 days was his wife a couple, three times when she would resupply him at different parts of that long trek. And then the third thing that he said nearly took him out was weight. He was super conscious of weight. First in his training of his own weight to kind of get to that right kind of weight that he was carrying with him. But then also, even more importantly, the weight that he was carrying on his back because he knew the cumulative effect of carrying too much weight on that journey would take him out. And so this guy was meticulous about the weight he would carry to the ounce, to the fraction of the ounce. One of the things he actually did was sawed off half of his toothbrush handle. I mean, that's the kind of attention he was giving to weight because he knew, again, if you take too much with you, the cumulative effect of that will absolutely take you out. <laughs> yeah, and neutralizing and wouldn't have been able to finish. And when asked how he did it, he said, just super simple, 
It's amazing what you can accomplish by just continuing to take the next step. Just flat out taking the next step. And uh, boy, could Elijah, this prophet, this wild man of the desert, this crazy looking dude that lived in caves, could he relate to this story? Things, as we enter into his story in 1 Kings 19, are starting to spin out of control. Things, uh, people are seeking to end his life. And it's becoming overpowering. He also hits a moment of intense, oppressive loneliness, where he literally feels like he's the only one left. And the moments of anxiety and, and fear are starting to really set in. And he's carrying a lot of that with him, and he knows pretty clearly this emotional, spiritual, phys physical baggage that he's carrying is not going to allow him to finish well and keep taking those next steps toward God and what he's, God's invited him to do. So he can relate to this story. So first, before we deep dive into this, a little backstory on Elijah. So this was a particularly dark time in the history of the Hebrew people. Another time where they had turned from God and were pursuing other things. And their leaders, the king and queen at the time, King Ahad and his wife Jezebel, were fiercely committed to idol worship. And they were casting their gaze away from the one true God into everything that filled that gap. Specifically, they were committed to the idol worship God Baal. And they were leading the people astray. And so God rose Elijah up to be the voice in the wilderness to go and try to give truth to the people and truth to the king. So Elijah goes to the king and warns him, there's going to be consequences if you fall away from God. There's going to be consequences if you take the people away from God and continue to influence them. There's going to be consequences in this country, right? Has been, as we kind of fade away and fall away from God and turn to other things. Always consequences. But the king refuses to listen. And what follows is three and a half years of drought to the people. And so we pick up the story in Elijah pleading with God in that cave in the desert, saying, don't allow the people to suffer more. And he's pleading with God relentlessly. Give them another chance. Give them another chance. Story and a sermon and a talk for another day, but prayer matters. Because Elijah actually influences what God does. And God says, okay, well, have mercy on the people. I'll send you back. And so he sends them back again to the king, sends Elijah back to the king and the queen to give him another chance. But again, the king refuses. And this time, Elijah puts the false prophets, the false pastors, the false spiritual religious leaders of the day to the test. And those leaders all fail Elijah's test. And so Elijah, in emotion, in passion, flips and kills them all. And we're talking like 200 people. He just takes out, right? This wild man of the desert takes them all out because they failed the test. So in this moment, the queen of the Hebrew people, Jezebel, hears what Elijah has done and sends a note and a message to Elijah and says, by the way, Elijah, like you killed my guys, like you killed my leaders, you're dead tomorrow. By tomorrow night, you're dead. And so when we pick up this story in 1 Kings 19 and begin to walk through it a little bit here, Elijah is running for his life. Fearful, hopeless. In fact, it feels like we pick him up in the midst of a desert wilderness under a lone tree asking for God to take his life. He's met his end. This brave, courageous, wild man that confronts a king twice 
and kills hundreds of people himself is now running for his life. Afraid, anxiety is set in, fear and whatever else. And so if you want to follow this story, if you have to have a Bible on your phone or whatever, you brought it with you, it's coming out of 1 Kings 19. I'm going to kind of read this part of it fast, but 1 Kings 19, and then we're going to talk about it some. The story picks up right where I said, where Elijah's in, a des- Elijah's in a desperate place. So verse 1 says, Now Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, who is the queen, everything that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a message, messenger to Elijah and said, So may the gods do to me, and more so if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Translated, you're dead tomorrow night, Elijah, you're toast. I mean, it's over for you. Verse 3 said, and he was afraid, and Elijah rose and ran for his life, and he left his servant there and by himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a lone broom tree. And he asked for himself to die and said, enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah's reached a hopeless, despairing desperate spot where he knows he's got nothing left to give. He can't do it. He feels like he's extended. I'm no better than anybody else that's tried. It's over for me. I don't know where you're at in the midst of this, God, but I'm done. You ever had a moment like that in your life? I mean, kind of a moment where you just kind of lost hope, desperate. I got to tell you about one of mine real quick. It was a few years ago. Uh, Our family was going through a dramatically difficult, really hard time with one of our kids. Um, hard stretch for me as a, a dad and, and as we walked through some of, some of the things that we had to walk through through that summer. And one of the things that gave me refuge and, and uh, was just like good therapy was getting on my bike. So I'm a mountain biker, I love to bike whenever I get a chance, still do. And so that bike, we had a lot of miles that summer. And uh, this particular morning, after a really hard week, I decided to go out and hit the bike, and I'd been training my dog to run alongside me with the bike on a leash, and so she was doing great, but this particular morning, she decided to bolt, tip the bike, and just grated my face on the cement, right? And so uh, I got up, kind of bloodied, undeterred, said the dog could fend for himself off the leash and continued on the bike to head toward a church, a Catholic church that's a few miles from our house. It has a school prayer kind of fountain thing, and I always often found myself there on my rides to kind of gather myself, and so I headed that way, and I parked the bike, got on that bench that I was so familiar with many times, stopping there through the summer, and this is a true story, hornet's nest under that bench came out and just hammered me. I mean, so I remember whipping off my shirt, you know, that, that was it, that was a snapping point, and I remember seriously yelling out, you think this hurts? This is nothing. You know, yelled, and I was like, bring it. And uh, then I realized as I looked over, people coming out of mass, <laughs> seeing the shirtless guy with a bloody face yelling at who knows what, because they couldn't have seen those wasps and hornets, and uh, that reached the breaking point. That's the point, one way or another, where Elijah's at and finds himself in this story. So it says in verse 5, then Elijah lay down, oops, lay down and fell asleep. When he lay down and fell asleep under that broom tree, and behold, an angel touching him said, Arise, Elijah, eat. 
And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a round loaf of bread and baked hot coals, on baked hot coals, and a pitcher of water. So he ate and drank, and then he lay down again. But the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, Elijah, because the journey ahead is long. So he arose and ate and drank and journeyed on the strength of that food and sleep for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came to the cave and spent the night there, and the word of the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? So what happens in this desperate moment for Elijah? He gets food. God gives him food, gives him rest, gives him food again and more rest, and then invites him to be honest. What are you really feeling here? What are you doing? And this is the beautiful picture of this particular passage because the description of the food and water that comes is abundance. It's loaves of bread baked over hot coals in a pitcher of water, not just a glass of water, but bread and water, all he could eat and drink, all he wanted to eat and drink, and then rest, and not just once, but twice. A second day, rest, eat, strengthen up, get ready because the journey is going to be long. God meets him right where he's at in that moment in a very practical way. And then he gives him a chance to be honest. Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah takes him up on it. He says in verse 10, I have been very zealous for you, Lord. Another translation says, I have worked my heart out for you, God. The sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down the altars, killed all the good prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. I'm the only one left, and now they seek to take my life. So what does God do? What does God do in this critical moment in Elijah's story where he could live or die, where he could give up, uh, where it's despairing and hopeless, where anxiety, fear has, has overtaken him? What does God do in this moment? What's the invitation? Verse 11, this is critical. This is a good one. So God says to Elijah, go stand on the mountain at attention before the Lord and the Lord will pass by. In this moment, he invites Elijah to the wilderness, to the quiet, to slow down, to listen, and a promise, God will pass by. And a great and powerful wind was tearing out the mountains and breaking the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was this earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle, quiet blowing. And another translation says, came a gentle, quiet whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the cloak, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, the voice of the Lord again came to him and said, so Elijah, what are you doing here? What a great picture of God's reminder to Elijah that he wasn't in the chaos I'm not in the stress you're feeling. I'm not in the angst you're feeling or the desperacy or the despair. I'm not in that. You just need to quiet down and wait. I will pass by. And when God does, it came in this gentle, quiet whisper. Now with food, rest, renewed strength in a thin place moment where he met God on a mountain and saw him pass by in that quiet whisper, he's ready ready to carry out the next step of his journey, ready to take those next steps. And God does, in fact, give Elijah his last mission. The last couple of verses I'll read. 
So the Lord said in verse 15 to Elijah, go return your way back to the wilderness to Damascus, and when you have arrived, you will anoint a new king. So you can go back tell King Ahab and Jezebel they're, they're done. You'll appoint a new king, and you shall appoint him over Israel, and then you will find and appoint Elisha, your heir apparent. So he gives them very specific steps and mission to go back. And then God gives Elijah this great gift in verse 18. He said, yet I will leave 7,000 others in Israel who have not bowed their knees to Baal, who have stayed true to God. Every mouth that's not kissed that idol God is with you. He gives Elijah this great gift, speaks right to the heart and says, you're not alone. You and I, when we're in school, in the workplace, in this culture, tend to feel isolated and alone, and that's the power of gathering in places like this, but boy, it gets lonely out there. It's like, are we the only ones that are, that are staying in the game? And this is a great reminder, no, you're not alone. And he gets right, Elijah right to the heart of where he's at. You're not alone. There's 7,000 others, 7,000 others that are with you. So a couple observations from this. What does God do first? He meets Elijah right where he's at, right in his place of need. He doesn't shame him, doesn't talk about where you should be, Elijah. What are you doing wasting time? You know, sitting under this tree. Get back in the game. Doesn't do that. It's not about how hard he has to work. It's not about that. The mission's critical. A lot of stuff for you and I to do. A lot of stuff, what God really cares about the most is our heart. And are we pursuing him? And are we at a place of strength so we can take those next steps? And he meets Elijah right where he's at, right in that place of pain, right in that place of questioning, and says it's okay and gives him some practical stuff, food, drink, good drink, good rest, get ready for that next step. And then he gives him a chance to be honest, and this is really important for you and I, because sometimes in the church culture as a whole, we're not honest when we're struggling, when we're having doubts. We don't find places where that can be and where we can find that. And God invites us to be honest, and he does this twice with Elijah. And asks him the question again and again. Elijah, where are you at? Why are you here? Now, one thing that's helped me in that front is journaling. Um, I've written a couple books and uh, love to write and all that, but journaling, that's something I've done my whole life. And uh, if somebody grabbed my journal, one of my fears is after I, you know, move on to the next thing, you know, someone would grab my journal and want to put some of that in print, that would be scary for people <laughs> because there, there's where I'm really honest with God on doubts and struggles and, and questions. And that's how it comes out. And God's invitation to us is to be honest. In Elijah's case here, um, his... His honesty is what opened the door. He said, I've worked my heart out for you, angel armies. Everyone's died. I'm the only one left. But after food and rest and drink and seeing God on that mountain, God asked him again, Elijah, why are you here? And you get a different kind of sense in that story if you enter into that story. Now he's ready. I'm, I'm ready for the next mission. And so, yeah, I've worked my heart out for you, and they've killed everybody. I'm the only one left. God, what do I need to do? He's in a whole different place when that second question comes to him. So God's invitation, meet him practically where he's at, give him a chance to be honest, and then he invites him to the mountain, right? He invites him to the mountain to quiet, 
for there will your real strength come. And gives them a promise, I will pass by. Let's look at this verse again one more time because I think it's super critical to the story of Elijah and, and also really important of what I'm going to invite you into over this next week as well. Verse 11, again, it says, the invitation to Elijah is go stand on the mountain at attention before God and God will pass by. And quiet down for a moment. I mean, we're, we're real quiet in here, but take a deep breath with me on this passage because this is really cool. <laughs> Go stand on a mountain in attention. And a hurricane ripped through that mountain and shattered the rocks, but God was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake came, but God was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but God was not in the fire. But after the fire came this gentle, quiet whisper. One question I have when I read those two verses is how long did this take? You know, we tend to read the Bible fast, you know, and, and read these stories fast, but they happened over a period of time. How long did it take for an earthquake to come and hurricane winds and a fire? It didn't happen just like that. This probably took a long time. In fact, there was history on this mountain. There was history on this mountain where God took people, men and women, up there for days, weeks on end. And the invitation again was... Go on the mountain, stand at attention before God, and God will pass by. But we don't know how long this took, but probably a very long time. This probably didn't happen in an hour or days, maybe weeks, that Elijah had to wait at attention, at attention before God. And the invitation for us and what I'm going to ask you to do at the end of this a time I get with you is to develop this practice of space and quiet and being at attention to see what God is doing, how he might show up in your own, how he already has shown up in your own story in life. But now, in Elijah's words, he has renewed strength. He is reconnected to that steely, passionate resolve that allowed him to confront a king and queen twice to overcome incredible obstacles, to live in solitude and isolation for all those years and still keep coming, still keep taking that next step. He's got a renewed commitment now to finish well. And what it took was that time on the mountain and that willingness to wait for God to pass by. So a couple practical steps. We live in a very shaken world. Since I was with you last in 2020 myself, Things have changed, we all can say that. Uh, things were building before COVID, but as 2020 hit and all that came along with it, um, very dramatic changes in the world. Politics, unsettled anxiety for people at a whole nother level, um, struggles with those kind of things that we saw in this story playing out in many of our lives, but across the culture here and around the world in so many ways, nations coming against nations, everything seems unstable and shaken. And that's, that's the visual I'd have. The world's been shaken, and once it's been shaken, it doesn't go back. Things are different. More than ever, needs men and women who are ready to stand in, to keep taking those steps, to show resilience, to be strong, to be rested and ready. More than ever. And so one of the things we can do is remember. Got to remember the moments God showed up in your own story. Don't forget, 
Don't forget the moments God showed up. If we were to take time this morning and say, even in this last week or over the course of this last year, how did you see God? How did you experience him? How did he make himself real in your own stories, in your own moments? You can't forget. There is power and strength in remembering. And uh, boy, would I love to hear some of those stories of how God's shown up in your own story. Really important to remember. One thing I remember of the last year, earlier this last year, we were in San Diego. I lead, as Ronnie mentioned, an organization called Harbor Ministries. We do leadership development with people, take people on 20 at a time on two or three year journeys. And I was out in San Diego, and this was the 30th group that was going to go to San Diego. And a guy's coming in with a lot of expectation and hope, a lot of people hurting. And, and I was out there a couple days early, as I usually do, just try, trying to get myself ready. And I was hurt, and I was tired. And uh, this was not only the 30th time in San Diego, but the 90th group overall that I'd done in either Colorado or California. Starting to feel like, is this it for me? I'm kind of getting to the end of my rope of being able to bring the passion and the energy that's needed into those environments and wondered if I could do it. And I was sitting there on the ocean, uh, the cliffs, La Jolla, north of San Diego, and some of you have probably been there and just kind of soaking it in. And and uh, the sense came to me, this was kind of my moment of going to the mountain, waiting. I was there all morning and being attentive. Say, will God pass by? Hoping he would, needing him to. And uh, as the waves kind of lined up, it was one of those crystal clear days. And you could see the waves lining up all the way out as far as you can see. I just got this sense, you just need to keep coming. You just need to take the next step. I'll give you, I'll give you what you need in that moment. I wanted to show you, uh, this is clearly not a photographer. This is coming off video off my phone. And I, when I watched it on the big screen here earlier, it's like, geez, I was moving that camera fast. But this is a beauty to see in this moment. One, because we know what's waiting for us when the service is over. We've got to go back outside. So enjoy this 20-second visual of the ocean with me, and then I'll show you or tell you what happened here. Yeah, that moved fast. I was excited at that moment. If the camera paused on that, looking out, you could just see, like I said, those waves lined up as far as you could see. And that visual became real powerful for me. Keep taking the next step. Keep engaging with me, I'm with you. I'll walk this with you as best, and I'll be with you every step of the way. And then I looked down on my phone, which I hadn't done all morning. And if you have the Bible app on your phone, you get a verse of the day kind of thing that pops up, you know. And uh, that day was Isaiah 58.10. And uh, as I sat, I read it. It said, help those in trouble. And your light will shine out of the darkness. The Lord will guide you continually and give you water when you're dry. And restore your strength. And you will be like a well-watered garden an ever-flowing stream. And I tell you, at that moment, it wasn't like automatic, but over the days that followed, I was out there for another 10 days with two groups that came in. Every day I got a little stronger and had a little more resolve. And I went back to this verse and that thing, on, that video on my phone every day that week and reminded myself of the time God showed me, keep coming. Keep taking that next step. I'll show up. I'll as you're helping those and others and out of the darkness, the Lord will continually guide you, give you water when you're dry, and restore your strength. 
you'll be like a well-watered garden. The second thing I'd tell you and suggest you and invite you to is travel light. Swinging back to that uh, illustration of, of uh, the hiker that did the Colorado Trail that put me to shame on my life goal and did his 486-mile truck and that meticulous nature of paying attention to weight and not carrying too much with you, what is some things you could let go of to make this journey stronger for you so you can stay in the game long term? Hebrews 12 is a passage that comes to mind here. It says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sins that encumber us, and let us run with endurance this race marked out for us. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Remember him who endured such scorn from sinful man so you will not grow weary and lose heart. What do we need to let go of in this moment? Is there life too short? Life's too short to carry on with some of the anxiety, the unforgiveness, the, the, for me, the sadness that comes with, you know, different life events and even weather that tends to, tends to wear me down in the wintertime particularly. Is there some things you need to let go of um, to really allow yourself to be able to run this race well? Um, I would encourage you, if you can, to remember and write down Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, and I'm going to give you a guide here in a moment uh, when, we, when we finish the sermon here that, that will allow you to walk through this well and walk through that passage, I think, well, and really start thinking about that. But, but is there some things you can let go of? And then the third thing is this practice of space. In our ministry, in Harbor Ministries, we call this idea of solitude, going to the mountain, listening and waiting on God, space. And we encourage and challenge people that come through our journey to do a full day a month, full day, of just quieting down, going to the mountain, waiting on God to pass by. And uh, those that develop that practice, whether it's a full day or hours or whatever, they're the difference makers. They're the ones where the stories come. Developing a practice of listening, quieting down. And uh, so what I'd love you to do over the next week is find an hour in your schedule. Find just an hour in your schedule. Uh, a lot of you do probably some things like this in the morning or at night, uh, or you're reading and praying and doing some different things like that. But this time with that thought of, I'm going to go to the mountain, unplug from noise, get myself in places where I'm not going to run into anybody I know or have side conversations. And just really seek God and wait and believe him that he will pass by and just listen. Um, to do that, I've got a guide uh, that I want to give you. It's out in the resource uh, center out there that I think will really help. And uh, I wanted to give you a, yeah, I don't know that there's enough for everybody, but there's probably enough for quite a few, one per family of this. And in this passage, there's several verses with some questions. And one of the passages in here is that Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, to let some things go and some prodding questions around that. So if you want, take one of these guides, go out and grab it before you leave, and enter into that time of space. Enter into that time of quiet. And just see and trust that God will pass by. Because man, this world today needs men and women well-rested well-fed, well-connected to the moments when God did show up in your and my story. Not forgetting that, because those are the things that will give us strength 
and resolved in the chaos of these days in which we live. I want to close with uh, reading of Psalms 46, and I want to do this a little differently. This will be kind of my prayer as we close. And so where you're sitting and in this moment, uh, again, kind of do another level of quieting down. Take a couple breaths, settle in. Maybe this could be a time of going to the mountain in these next couple of minutes as I read this Psalms with an expectation of hope that God will pass by. And maybe there's something in the words of Psalms 48 as we close in the journey of Elijah that just so rings true as we read through this Psalms 46 passage. So take a moment. God is our refuge and strength. always ready to help in times of trouble. So you and I, we don't have to fear when the earthquakes come and when the mountains crumble to the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble and the waters surge. Let the chaos come that's in this world that you and I will face. Because God's right at our side. That's the promise of Psalms 46. A river brings joy to the city of God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. For the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations, they're in chaos. And their kingdoms will crumble but God's voice thunders. One more time there, huh? The nations are in chaos. The kingdoms will crumble, but God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us, right here, right by your side now. He is our fortress. So come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction on the world. He can cause wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And in the midst of this chaos, be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored in every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. So Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for this reminder and journey of Elijah's story and his struggle with anxiety and fear and questions and doubt. That your invitation was, you don't gotta do more. Just quiet down. Let God minister to you where you're at and then go to the mountain and quiet. Thanks for this challenge in this Psalms and amidst the chaos. That's where we can hear you. To be still and know that I'm God. Because in the stillness and quiet, that's when you give us strength. In the stillness and quiet, that's when we get resolved. 
in the stillness and quiet, that's where we get the confidence and the strength and the reminder to keep taking steps toward you and the great calling you have on each of our lives. Amen.